Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. Episode 199. Oh, my gosh. With Tim Ringgold. Hi, Tim. Hi, Busy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm so excited to have you here. My pleasure. It's awesome. So I'm so excited to hear about your journey of experience, strength, and hope. And um, I was really intrigued when um, I heard that you use music as one of your main sources of therapy. And um, before we go on to your story, I want to tell you that I was talking to a friend of mine who is newly sober. And I said, I'm, in, I'm actually have somebody coming on the show who talks about music therapy and how music is really something that can help you. And she goes, oh my gosh, that's so crazy you say that. And I said, why? And she said, well, my husband likes to put on Billy Joel, right? Old stories of Billy Joel. And so that's like our youth, right? Yes, if you're the, totally. same, the genre that I am, right? Yes, and yes, totally. The genre is me. So she's like, I can't even listen to it. She's like, I can't even listen to it anymore because it makes me feel so uncomfortable. Mm. Now, if you put on, now, and I, during the day, I always have classical music going in my house, you know, just mm -hmm. like the classical local station going. And she's like, I can listen to that because that calms me. But then to listen to stuff that really brings me back to the partying stuff, you know, it feels uncomfortable. Nailed it. That's a really, really important piece of the recovery journey. People forget that music, well, it's not that they forget, they just underestimate its power. So we think of music as like an entertainment device or a, even an educational device in school, right? But music is the soundtrack of our memories. And there is a, a neural connection between the music, the events, the, or behaviors, we might call them, and the feelings that we were experiencing, they're all wrapped up together. And as a music therapist, one of the things that we understand is that songs elicit memories which elicit emotions. And the emotion is energy in motion. It's trapped in our body somewhere. And the song, whether we want it to or not, will release that emotion instantly. When we're ready, when we're not ready, when we're in the car, when we're at home, when we're at, at, at the mall, you, know, you go into a store, they're playing music, you go in a restaurant, they're playing music. And so we all have a party playlist. Let's be honest. You know, we all were getting hammered and do, acting out to music. Come on. It's, it's okay. You know what I mean? It's just like, let's just call out the gorilla in the room. So every time I'm working with uh, at treatment centers and I, I talk to the guys or the gals, I'm like, just think about your party playlist. Like, you know, you know what you listen to most often when you are in your darkest times. And, and that will, particularly in early recovery, that will re-trigger all of those memories, which will re-trigger all of those emotions. And until you have worked out all that trauma, it's going to continue to do so. So you have to hit pause on your party playlist early in recovery. Luckily, music is in universe. It's ginormous, right? You can get busy with all kinds of other, <laughs> with all kinds of other styles of music in the meantime. But that music is going to trigger and elicit emotion, whether you want it to or not. You can't say, don't remind me. It'll remind you. And over time, what I found in my own recovery journey is there was a period of time when I couldn't listen to a particular style of music without it automatically making me feel squirrely. I mean, within four beats, uh, my brain was just in the wrong place. So I had to hit pause. 
And then I would check back. Like in a couple of years, I check back. Right. And, you know, like not a couple of weeks, like it takes some time for this stuff to really atrophy in our brains. Now, 17 years later, I'm good. I'm okay. I, I can listen to that music and it doesn't, I don't have the emotion attached to the memory. I just have the memory. But for people early in recovery, that's absolutely valid. And people need to be very wary of their party playlists. So you don't let it flow, right? So you don't let those emotions flow. You kind I don't want to say you stuff them, but for lack of a better word, you stuff them, right? Because you want to stay, you want to stay sober. Yeah, I think it's it's more like you need to be, it's contextual. So if you're in treatment and you're working with like, or you're in recovery in a 12-step program and you're working with a sponsor, if you're working with someone more sober than you who can guide you through that mess of emotion, then it can be appropriate to start to dig because we have to heal our past. We can't run from it. It's not, it's buried in in our tissue. The issues are in our tissues. We cannot escape them. You can move cross country. They come with you. I tried. And so uh, we have to go there, but it's really only safe to go there with a guide. That's my, my experience. It's like, don't go to a third world country and go out into the rainforest without a guide. It's not safe. With a guide, it can be a great adventure. So with that, will you tell us about your adventure? Because I love to call it adventure. I don't like to, you know, because it's it has to be kind of uplifting, I believe, because sure. it's our journey and it has to be yes. positive, right? So tell us yes. about your journey, your adventure. To sure, sure. So I'm, I'm a musician. I've been on stage since I was four. Um, by the time I was 16, as a, like a all boys Catholic high school, devout Catholic, uh, singing for the Pope in St. Peter's Square, like mountaintop moments. But I was also raised with this, like, you're going to go to hell if you do this, 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 or this. So there was a lot, actually, as a kid, there was a lot of what I called religious and spiritual trauma that happened to me. Because by the time I was eight, I was crying myself to sleep at night because I had already done the math. I was already going to hell inside of the rule book that was kind of pushed on me. And I now have a nine-year-old at home. There is no child at eight or nine who should be going to bed crying over their eternal salvation or damnation. That's terrible. So I experienced terror in bed at night. Fast forward to my teens. I'm a teen boy. I hit adolescence. And I'm just, I'm going to be very candid here. I discover pornography. And it's, and I discover, you know, fantasization, masturbation, things that are so taboo in our culture, so taboo. And I remember the feeling, I know this feels so good. I I know this is wrong. I remember that, this thought, I know this is wrong, but it feels so good. And suddenly I had this experience at home in, by myself in my room where I wasn't terrified. And I was like feeling good the very next night. I was doing it again until I was in pain the next night because it was the first time I had found relief from the trauma. And I went right back to the source as many times as I could. Didn't understand any of this as a teenager, right? This wasn't until much further on in my journey that I looked back and realized, oh, trauma triggers addiction. That was my trauma. That was what I was seeking relief from. Um, and then I just, you know, the other areas of my life were working fine. I'm going through college. I discover rock and roll and I discover music. And I know that in my heart, I'm a musician. I want to be a career musician, a professional musician. 
I don't like opera. I don't like musical theater. So the only sensical thing to do is go rock and roll. So let's just say, they say sex, drugs, and rock and roll in that order for a reason. That culture, it's all around you. It is expected. You know, it is reinforced that you're going to engage in risky, frequent sex. You're going to engage in drug use, alcohol use. Um, anytime you say no to anything inside of that culture, you get shamed. Oh, come on, you wimp, you pussy, come on. Whatever it is, you're not allowed to say no. And so I went knee deep just down the rabbit hole of saying yes to everything around me to try to fit in, try to be cool, try to survive, try to navigate. And uh, I was out of control in alcohol, drugs, and, and sexual behavior. I left my band and I realized I was able to walk away from the drugs and the alcohol, but I couldn't walk away from the sex. It was my kryptonite. And kryptonite's the word I like to use to describe the behavior or the substance that you're just powerless around. Like you can be Superman in other areas of your life. And then you're allowing the, you're around this one stupid thing and it's totally arbitrary what it is for you. And boop, you got no backbone. You got no, you're, oh, I can't resist. And that was, that was my kryptonite. And I'll never forget being in a recovery meeting. I found my first 12-step meeting, February 17th, 2003. And uh, I started going to recovery meetings for Sex Addicts Anonymous, SAA. And by the first meeting, I knew that's where I belonged. And I wasn't alone. I wasn't a freak. I wasn't a pervert. I was just a guy, like many guys, who just went down. This, this was my kryptonite. And I'll never forget. One meeting, this guy introduces himself. I don't remember what his first name was, but he, he identified himself as a gratefully recovering sex addict. Now, let me just tell you, those are four words that I had never heard before. And I thought, the cynical side of me said, Right. Yes. You know, it said worse than that, right? And then the, the, the little higher power on my shoulder that, that got me to listen to the next thought from my higher self was, how did he get there? how did he get there? And I started to imagine, what would it be like? What would I, what would life have to like occur? Like, what would, how would I have to think about my own journey of addiction and recovery to the point where I was grateful that that was my kryptonite? That was one of the most powerful meetings and moments in my recovery journey, because I realized he had it. So it was possible. I could have it too but I need to do the work for me to figure it out for me so that it's authentic for me. And I realized, I thought, you know, I now have the ability to just connect with so many more people on this planet. And I feel like humans connect through joy and pain. And now I have, and I, as a musician, joy, we had that connection, but now in recovery, pain. We have this ability to connect and I can connect to just so many more people. And that's so important to me. And I just, I got to the point where I was like, wow, me too. You know, I'm great. I'm a gratefully recovering sex addict. That's amazing. There were so many things that you talked about that rank that I just, I want to circle back to for one yeah. being raised with that spiritual. So Catholic being raised, I was also raised Catholic and having that religion, like growing up and looking at that cross, right? 
oh my gosh, it was the scariest thing, right? As a kid, you're like- So intense. He's got thorns in his head. He has nails in his hand. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's the scariest thing. And then to go to a 12-step group where they're talking about this spirituality and this higher power. And my first visual was like, oh, okay, how am I going to get- right? <laughs> <laughs> it's sticking with it to the miracle happens and yes. you hearing that one thing that you needed to hear right because a lot of people will go and they'll hear the god thing and that's the first thing that sends them right out the door absolutely that's visual right yep yep totally and i i i had to when i got to when we when they would read the steps uh and it would say sought through prayer and meditation that phrase yeah. i'd be like oh yeah that prayer thing you know, I immediately was like, F no, we're not doing that. Oh, what's meditation? That sounds new and fun. <laughs> I don't have any past trauma with meditation. And so I had to like, you know, okay, it said and, oh, not or. Okay, I got to re, you know, I got to kind of re-examine this and make it work for me, right? And, and for me, a spiritual journey is a very personal, uh, it's a personal journey. It's undefined. So it, I get to decide what my spiritual journey is, which is different from a religion, right? And a religion is like, no, here are the rules. And a spiritual journey is what are the rules that work for me? And I, I had to really make sure I stayed in that lane and didn't collapse religion and spirituality in my recovery. And you can have religion without spirituality. And you can have spirituality without religion. They're not necessarily linked. You can link them if you want to, but it's not required. Exactly. I love that because I, I just did a podcast where I was talking about like, you just have to find out what your faith is in, right? Yes. It can be in the sunrise. It can be in the yes. sunset. It can be in a rock. Who knows, right? Yes. But sticking with it, even though that came up because of that trauma that you had previously is amazing. I love that. And then realizing that you were on this path of real these steps, you like, I want what this person has. I want That's what it. this person has. That's huge, right? And being able, and especially I think in our society, we aren't taught to ask for help, right? right. That's the last thing we want to do. Like admit that we don't know something. Oh <laughs> yeah, totally. And that this stranger who might not be wearing a clothes, like isn't wearing a collar, okay, right. isn't wearing a suit, yeah. is actually just dressed like I am, is actually going to help me. And uh, they have something that I want. Isn't that interesting, don't you think? Oh, totally. And, and I can say as a guy, the stoicism to be the solution provider and the fixer, uh, culturally, like that's reinforced, right? And the old joke about not asking for directions, you know? Um, the humility that it takes to go get re find recovery, it's a it's a big pill, and it's a, it's genuinely a miracle to me when people find recovery. And I remember being at a conference because as a therapist, like I have my therapist journey, you know, and then I have my person in recovery journey. And I'm at a conference, and there's this expert on sex addiction named Pat Carnes, and he's speaking, and he says, you know, average amount of time between when a guy realizes he needs help and he lands his ass in a recovery meeting is like two years. That was what he said at this, this conference. And I thought to myself, I was like, well, yeah, that's guys for you. You know, like we know we have a problem, but we don't want to ask for help. And, uh, but I do love in the literature where it says, if you want what we have, 
and it's like, oh, I can want what you have. Okay. Yeah, I do want what you have. And, and I remember the first meeting, and I remember the second meeting particularly, I am still dear friends with the trusted servant of the second meeting I went to because he had something I wanted, which was humor around his sex addiction. He was cracking jokes leading the meeting and I was full of shame. And if I was leading the meeting, it would have been this dour, heavy, significant, Blah, trudge through emotion, uh, right? And he was cracking jokes like, and I was like, this guy, what's with this guy? Like, I want that. I'll, give me some of that. And then when it was like, you can have what we have. I was like, well, what do I need to do? And they're like, you need to be willing to go to any lengths to get it. Yeah. And I remember the first time I saw somebody get a 20 year chip, you know, tell us how you did it, right? They're all, they always share how they did it. He said five words and sat down. That was it. He said, I prayed for the willingness. willingness. And he sat down and shut up. I can't say my name in five words. This guy wraps up 20 years of recovery in five words. I have meditated on those five words and lectured on those five words many, many times because the willingness is the, that's the game changer. And the fact that he said, I, right? Like no one's doing it for him. Right. Prayed. Meaning the willingness is not necessarily going to be there every time you wake up. And it's not necessarily going to be there in every situation. Sometimes you got to pray for that stuff, literally. So that means that he's willing, not only is he, there's willingness at the end of it, but he's willing to elicit the help of some, something greater than him to help him find that willingness and that humility. I was like, whoa, guys don't talk like that. Right. That's not cool. That's not hip. That's not sexy. It's not macho. It's not on TV. It's not on TMZ. Like nobody's talking guys being hum humble. Okay. I'm in. Love and that. Game changer. So, and you were willing to grow because you first went in to SAA, right? Yep. And then we mentioned earlier before we were recording that you also then that journey took you where? Oh, so uh, now alcohol is no longer in my life. And what I found was I am a speaker and I'm, I travel on the road and I teach people how to use music to relieve stress. And what I found was anytime I was on the road by myself and alcohol was involved, I was falling off the edge of my recovery from sex addiction. And I put myself in super dangerous situations time and time and time and time and time again. And I like the adrenaline rush of like stepping up to the edge of the cliff in my recovery. I got hooked on that adrenaline and I'm sure, you know, many people can relate to that. And then, you know, after a while, I realized every time I put myself in danger, alcohol was involved. So even though alcohol wasn't my kryptonite, alcohol was the kerosene that ignited, you know, the fire. And so I was like, that's got to go. It's just got to go. So it started with no drinking on the road. Funny thing, problems went away on the road. What a shock. You know, like, wow. And then um, I saw it was like, it was Christmas time. It was getting ready to go into the new year. My wife, she was like, you know, I don't really like alcohol anymore. It just makes me sneeze. I don't feel good afterwards. I think I'm going to, you know, quit. 
And I had seen a sign on Facebook that said uh, like one year, no beer. And I, I cringed when I saw the ad and I thought to myself, well, what was that cringe about? And I just leaned in to the cringe mm. and it, just from a growth perspective, like what's, what's available. Something is, you know, I, 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 I kind of pulled back. So what's there. So I immediately in my own spiritual journey, like I lean into the resistance. I lean in, I've learned to just lean into the adversity. That's where all the growth is. It's waiting for me. It's just on the other side of comfort. It's just waiting. I just got to be willing. And so I, I leaned in and I was like, Oh, okay. One year, no beer challenge accepted. And that was uh, two and a half. No, it was, a, it was 20. It was the year of 2019. And then 2020 came around and it was like a subscription. It was like, would you like to re-up your subscription to another year, no beer? And I just thought, yeah, this is like, I've had zero problems and I miss it like zero to 5%. So let's keep going. And I feel so much clearer, cleaner, safer. It's just, it's been fascinating, like just the levels, you know, that are available. Uh, and so it's just been a, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. Well, it's, I love that you just start, said that because do you know what today is? No. It's September 1st. So everybody, this yes. isn't going to come out till Thursday, which is September 2nd, right? So, no, September 3rd. But today is September. So they're doing sober September. So this okay. is alcohol awareness, recovery awareness month. Yeah. And here we are. So somebody's listening to this podcast for the first time and they're like, okay, Tim got off of sex. He got off of alcohol. I'm sitting here. I'm squirreling. I've been living through a pandemic. I'm drinking more than I've wanted to drink. I might be looking at more stuff that I don't want to admit that I've been looking at. And here I am. And I want to change. What is your suggestion to them right now, today, as September is a brand new month and here we are and I want to change and I want to do something new. What would you be your advice to them? You know, um, the best phrase I ever heard, I was uh, in my internship I heard at a treatment center, one of the facilitators say to one of the clients, we'll call the client Bob, just so I can use a name. He said, well, Bob, the good news is, is that all we have to do is stay sober today. I had never heard it put that way. And then I was in a Reiki training and they, they use these affirmations where they use this tag just for today, dot, dot, dot. And then I am blank compared to one day at a time. When I heard all I have to do is stay sober today. I was, Oh, I can do that. I can wrap my brain around that idea. I really can. Yeah. I could authentically buy into that idea. One day at a time made me want to stick my finger down my throat. <laughs> Screw you with your cliches. But the, he just said it so matter-of-factly to the guy, like it was really like as long, hey, bro, good, the good news is all we have to do is stay sober today. Oh, yeah, that's all I have to do. And so when I keep my eye on that, I really, I, I can see a finish line. If I try to like fast forward out to the future, like, I want a chip that says 20 years, like that guy, Blah, warning, warning, danger. All I have to do, Busy, is just stay sober today. And I, I, can, I, I feel like with the help of my sponsor, the help of my community, 
uh, I have a rigorous self-care routine. I have a rhythm of recovery. And if I engage in my rhythm of recovery, I got for today, I got a shot. I got a shot. And no matter what I did yesterday, if I wake up today, it means I have a shot because I've had clients OD after being, you know, working a program, they go out one night and that was the night their heart stopped. And so I, I don't take for granted that I woke up today because I've had clients who didn't. And that's a reality check because for a lot of people in addiction, they don't put two and two together that they put themselves in life, risky circles, environments, situations, and scenarios, and they put their bodies through the ringer. And people with, you know, long-term drug or alcohol abuse, their, their hearts just stop one day. Their kidney just, they stop, their liver just stops. It just wears out. And I used to work in the hospital and my clients, my cancer patients were 58.5 years old was the average age of my cancer patients. And they were kids who were kids in the sixties and seventies who rode their bodies hard and put them away wet and their bodies just wore out on them. And so I, I, I use those as cautionary tales, not to be like intense and traumatic, but just as the reality, just there's a reality to this, which is that if I keep engaging in this behavior, I could be dead or in jail very easily. And there by the grace of God or here on this podcast, by the grace of God, am I, because I just as easily could have been dead or in jail through all of the dangerous things that I got myself into, situations I got myself into. Oh man, I'm so lucky to be here. So Tim, with that, and when we were on earlier, I want to talk about this because this is my new question to ask everybody. All right. So I know that you did something this morning. You just talked about it. There's things yeah. you do to keep you healthy. So I want to phrase it like this. So how do you stay busy living sober? How do you do that? So how do you spend your morning? So maybe somebody will like what you share that they can integrate into their morning. Tell us. Sure. Sure. So the, I uh, give the first three hours of the day back to me. Mm. every day. It's non-negotiable. So I treat me first. So wait, wait, wait back up a bus. So you wake up at 5 a.m. Let's 5 go to 5 a.m. Everybody, 5, 5 a.m. Yep. It's dark. Uh, I don't feel like waking up at five, but I don't negotiate with my thoughts or my feelings. So I know that there is a recover. So as a musician and as a music therapist, rhythm, like our body has a rhythm, our life has a rhythm. And there's a rhythm to your addiction journey. Like you can, it's a pat, there are patterns of behavior that you do when you're in your addiction. And there are patterns of behavior in recovery. And I just, your rhythms of recovery. So I figured this out early on. Like if I want to have a strong recovery, I have to have these really strong daily rhythms. And so for me, you know, I get out of bed, I go downstairs, I go outside barefoot in the grass, I look at the stars and the planets, and I marvel every morning. I marvel. Wow. Marvel and yep. awe at something bigger than me is really healthy for me because it keeps my little tiny thoughts in check. I hug my jacaranda tree for 30 seconds, no joke, certifiable. I live in California, y'all, I'm a tree hugging hippie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it's in my backyard so nobody can see. You know, have some coffee. I do transcendental meditation uh, every morning. So I have a meditation practice. I do kundalini yoga uh, every morning. I run or lift weights uh, six days a week. Um, what else do I do in the mornings? Um, healthy breakfast, supplements, walk my dog, 
uh, spend time with my family, all um, cold shower, cold shower is part of my routine, um, all before, you know, 8am. And that's so I, 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 you know, any five to 10 healthy recovery rhythms before I give my time to anybody else. And I'm unapologetic about it. And just the cold shower. Okay, 5 a.m., that's pretty bad too for me. I'm like, oh, that's amazing though. But it works. Oh, yeah, absolutely. How and, long you have know, you been doing this? Cold showers, uh, I probably started those in January of 19. Also, I had an accountability partner who wrote a book called Smash Your Comfort Zones with Cold Showers. And he started to tell me about all the neurological benefits of cold showers, how good it is for your immune system, how good it is for your cardiovascular system. And from a recovery perspective, uh, being willing to lean into the resistance of it, like overcoming something you don't want to do and doing it anyway, that muscle is a powerful muscle to, to strengthen because you don't feel like calling your sponsor, but you call your sponsor. You don't feel like going to a meeting, but you go to a meeting. You don't feel, you, you don't feel like making amends, but you make amends. You don't feel like it's, you don't negotiate with your feelings and your thoughts. And so having practices that put you in that situation, but you know, not like intense, but just, it's a little thing. So you have to flex that muscle repeatedly and repeatedly so that throughout the day, when the situation, the life situation that goes like this, something I don't want to do, but need to, mm -hmm. I have a muscle that I strengthen every day so that I'm better able and again, with the help of my sponsor. Oh, and my sponsor call. I forgot my sponsor call. When I'm walking my dog, I talk with my sponsor or I leave him a message if he doesn't answer. So, uh, you know, not on my own, but it, with my counsel, you know, my tribe, um, I'm able to, you know, get, get through what I need to get through. I love it. I love it. So getting through this pandemic hasn't been as horrible, right? You're just living. It's just life, right? You just, can't. you know, I, you have, you know, it, you have to acknowledge what, uh, you have to acknowledge what sucks. So don't, don't pretend, you know, acknowledge it, but you also, your job, my job, speak for myself. My job is also to acknowledge like what's amazing and what's possible. And so I, I, it's not that I believe it's it, like you said, faith, like I have faith in that there's a silver lining in every situation. And one of two things is going to happen. If I look for it, I'll find it. If I look for it and I don't find it, I trust that I wasn't meant to see it in the moment. Mm. Mm. And it's not for me to see. I'm, I'm a human on a rock spinning through cold, dark space. I don't have all the answers. I don't have access to all the answers in real time. I'm like an ant that dresses up, you know, and shaves. So I don't have access to all of the answers of the universe. I'm just not, I'm not God. So I don't have, but, but if I look, there are plenty of times when I can see a blessing in disguise. And we have that phrase in our language. So why not use it? Like, why wait? Like just activate, reframe, reframe, reframe. And the fact that I have a podcast now is a result of the pandemic. The fact that I do weekly concerts in my neighborhood on my curb for my community and have had these magical experiences. We did a graduation for all the kids in our neighborhood who couldn't go to graduations because of lockdown, like total beautiful community. Like our community is so strong now because of the pandemic. It never, this never, none of that would have happened because we we're all too busy. 
So there have been so many blessings along the way, but you have to be willing, again, willing to believe that they're there, willing to look for them. And then if you don't find them, willing to trust that it wasn't meant for you to see in the moment and that it'll be revealed maybe later. That's the I game. love that, Tim. Thank you so much. What is the name of your podcast? So if anybody wants to go check it out. Sure. It's called Reduce Your Stress with Tim Ringgold. And it's actually relaxation instrumental guitar pieces that I write and record in the studio. And then it's also interviews with uh, people who are experts on stress reduction or musicians who write relaxing music as well. So and you're going to send me that link, right? Sure. Send me that link. That'd be awesome. That well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been awesome getting to know you and everybody that's out there. Oh my gosh, what a great day. This has been an awesome way to start the day. And if you're out there and you're starting this whole sober September, we wish you the best of luck and uh, reach yeah. out to us. And until next time, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye. <laughs>